The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Right, and we do not get that 4.7 million. I remember another time in our recent past where we used terms like neighborhood character, too many shadows, and we need parks, and we lost $5 million in affordable housing. We don't have time to do that again. We don't have time for the whistleblowing. We, like, the dog whistling needs to stop, and we need to come together as a community and figure out where things happen, and it's in somebody's backyard, and it can be in my backyard, and I absolutely support this project because I actually think that we are in a gap that it fits a public benefit that may not exist in the future as we move towards what I believe to be upzoning through all of the conversations that we've heard tonight. Um, And so with that, I think that this as a PUD in a unique condition is at the friction point of housing development and high density and historic neighborhood. It's not natural features, but it is a unique geographic condition where we have high density next to a protected historic district for its neighborhood character, where we are protecting buildings for the sake of making it difficult for people to afford to live here. And if it's my decision on you know, what we're doing to protect, I'd rather protect people than buildings. And I'd rather see new construction than protecting historic stones. Um, so I look forward to supporting this as is. Anybody else? Go ahead, Commissioner Abrams. Um, So I think uh, this has been a difficult deliberation. Um, On the one hand, I think I, uh, in principle, agree with all of the people who uh, support this project based on a desire for more housing. and support of its sustainability uh, goals and the sizable contribution to the Affordable Housing Fund. Those are all incredible things. I think if I go through the process maybe um, akin to Commissioner Mills and I think about it from a procedural standpoint and I think about the role of the comprehensive plan, um, the kind of purpose of a PUD and the way in which it's not supposed to be used to circumvent existing zoning, and I think about public benefit, um, I think it becomes a little less clear to me, honestly. Um, And so I have been trying to weigh both of those things uh, in my head, and I think maybe just to be transparent about the process for um, all the people who spoke in support and against this project. And I also want to express my gratitude for for all the people who are engaging this process. I think it's really, really important no matter which side of this you're on. Um, But I think it's important maybe to make our thought processes transparent so that you know that we hear you and that we actually take into consideration all of the information we receive and we deliberate quite ferociously um, when we're thinking about these decisions. And I think um, I'm, I'm coming down in a similar place to Commissioner Sovey, which is that um, I think we are in a, we are in a moment where uh, we, as a body, have been asked to use our discretion to make a decision about something which does not have a cut and dry answer that you can kind of look to procedure or look to policy in order to determine. So things like 
uh, harm or benefit are actually discretionary terms that we, you know, things that we have to decide. And in this case, I think that um, the need for housing uh, really uh, supersedes, I would say, um, the fact that we are at the beginning of a comprehensive plan process as opposed to a year from now or 18 months from now when we will be maybe adopting a comprehensive plan, which I feel very confident is going to call for greater density in this neighborhood. Um, and so similar to the people who've said, if not here, where? Um, I think that that is kind of where we're headed. Um, but I want to acknowledge that I don't think that that means there, there are no downsides to this project. There are always trade-offs. Um, and some, you know, people are going to uh, feel the effects of those trade-offs, and some people are going to feel the benefit to those trade-offs. And I think that is a thing um, that all of us up here are trying to weigh. Um, and I, but I will say that I appreciate Commissioner Mills' logic, <laughs> which is to say that um, it is a little, it is a little. Confusing to me that um, that we were not presented with, you know, if this were one block north in D1, here's what we could have built. And so it makes sense to us that we would try to achieve that. It seems like that was not part of the consideration. Um, I think there are other things in the pro forma that are determining the density. But um, so while the 15% payment in lieu is amazing, 20% would actually get you in line with D1 and be even more amazing. Um, but uh, I plan to vote yes. Thanks. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. So I had to write my thought process down. Because I was very eloquently off the cuff, if that was off the cuff. <laughs> okay. So I know, I know we need housing. We need affordable housing. I understand the urgency. I'm very pro-development. I fully appreciate the affordable housing contribution. So this one's really, this is hard for me. Um, this to me is it's not an argument about neighborhood character but i am hearing this argument that you know there are tall buildings just a block or two north it's zoned differently and i worry then that the same argument can be used if a 12-story building is built here on south forest and 19-story building on church street to continue to build sort of random high-rises block by block um we have zoning districts that allow taller buildings for a reason in, in certain places in downtown we just rezoned two transit corridors um, with more following behind because we said this is where we want, this is where we think taller buildings make sense. Uh, I use that same if not here then where argument for um, one of Mr. Moore's uh, higher density projects along a transit corridor on South Main and that to me is more of the where. This doesn't feel like an if not here then where scenario to me. Um, we can still build more density without building really tall and I think we all know we need to change zoning codes to allow for that. And again, I understand the urgency of all of this. I, the comp plan will guide us, I think, towards a community decision on allowing more density, like duplexes and quadplexes within single-family zones. We just keep seeing all of these proposals for really tall buildings, and I think it is possible to be more dense without height. High-rises add more housing, absolutely, but there are also risks of social isolation, loneliness, things like that. I don't think we talk about enough that are starting to concern me the more of these types of projects we see. Um, I don't have a problem with tall buildings next to short buildings per se, but putting them, what feels to me rather arbitrarily on parcels of land throughout the city that are not zoned for this does not make sense to me. Six or seven-ish, eight-ish maybe stories to me makes a lot more sense in this location. Maybe there's less parking or no parking. The building's pulled up to the street more for more units. At that height, we can step down heights from the D, the D zones more um, transitionally than a 12-story building would. 
on a smaller building, solar would probably contribute more than 3% of the energy needs, which to me just feels nominal. Um, again, I understand the urgency, but at this point, the proposed sustainability aspects just feel almost too basic to make it worth it to me. I think we already talked about lead silver versus lead platinum. They don't really push the envelope. I don't think this would necessarily be a model for sustainable development in this city. I think that's kind of a reach of a claim. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of throwing money towards something and not substantially moving the needle. Um, you know, there's additional affordable housing money above and beyond what was required, which is great. But it just, I don't know. I think we need to balance this pressure of needing housing, wanting sustainable buildings, and making sure we're allowing taller buildings in areas where they make the most sense and working to increase density in all possible ways, not just high rises. I'm struggling with this one. I am going to vote no, um, even though I don't think I've ever voted no on a project. Um, I, I, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> this is hard. Uh, I agree. This is hard for me, too, um, and for a lot of the reasons that you just detailed, actually. Um, I, I would rather have it be a little bit shorter than D1. It somehow kind of doesn't smell right to me with that. I would rather have the parking go away and have there be more density uh, further down. Um, it's hard for me to evaluate the trees without knowing we, we didn't get enough. We didn't get a sunshade study or anything like that for me to kind of understand that. We'll obviously have you all come up to respond to the 52 things that we put out there we're going to respond to at some point. Um, uh, so uh, because it's just difficult to know what the shadows are, are going to be. It does look to me like there are some oaks right up against the property line there when I'm, when I'm looking at that. Um, uh, I... Uh, I think if this weren't a PUD, we're not going to get an electric building. I think that's just the plain and simple truth of it. And so for that reason, I like it that it's a PUD and that it's not. And I mean, given where we are in our evolution of what we're doing with our code, that's just the, the hard truth of it. Um, and we don't, have, uh, we don't have the new ordinance for electrification or disconnecting from gas. And so that's, that's, that's really important to me. And um, that that and I would like it more if there you all were pushing the envelope a little bit more in terms of handling you know geothermal doing things like that. I it's nice that you're sort of getting towards passive house. You're not obviously achieving passive house. Um, I think it's pretty tough to do net zero on a building this tall. I think that's I think it's a little bit hard to see what OSI is writing in that way, that it's kind of like, well, that's pretty hard to pull that off, people. So the fact that you all are doing all electric, I just think you could do more to actually support your project, frankly, especially given all the things that are coming out from the federal government. I mean, why not? Why not do some geothermal here? It takes thinking about your building differently, and it takes thinking about it differently early on and moving forward with that. So I, you knew kind of how we were thinking about this from our, from our first meetings. And it would have been nice if you all had actually incorporated some of that more. Uh, because you have the opportunity, you could do wells here. And I'm not saying you'd necessarily achieve net zero, but you'd get a lot further. We just haven't heard anything else with that other than what I've seen in the OSI's report, which is a little bit nebulous in terms of uh, what's happening with that. So. Um, I think I will withhold my, my yay or nay until I hear more from the development team. And I think we've given you all a pretty robust list of things to respond to. So 
please, how, whomever makes sense to come up to, to answer some of the various questions. We look forward to your discussion. I, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Team members, uh, to begin to whittle through them. Um, but I, I would like to address um, uh, Commissioner Mills' uh, statement about the uniqueness of the site. And this clearly goes to the uh, urban forest fragment that is right next door. And we uh, ha have crafted a design um, to have the least possible impacts on that, on that very valuable uh, community resource. Um, we have done shade studies. And we've hired <coughs> the former uh, city forester, Bill Lawrence, who's done an extensive multi-month study and research about what the impacts of how we organize the mass of our building and the site would have on those trees. So part of what we did is, <coughs> for the vast majority of the length of our site, is we put a 15-foot green buffer zone along our northern property line so that we're not impacting root zones significantly of those larger uh, mature trees. And then we also, if you'll recall in our working session, we had a uniform height building presented. We began to look at those shade and shadow studies, and it was clear that we could <coughs> allow a little bit more afternoon sun onto those trees by dropping the northwest uh, corner of our building to six stories to account for the, the loss of that density raise the rest of the mass. But by doing that, we let so much more sunlight, especially the late afternoon sunlight, into those trees. So that is the, one of the biggest unique things about the site, outside of its context in the area where there are already other tall buildings, is that we have a, a, an urban forest fragment next door to us, and we want to protect it. And so we've crafted the building and the organization of the site in such a way that we minimize any potential for any loss of any canopy on the trees next door. And we have letters to that effect from Mr. Lawrence in our submission packets, so they're, they're there for everybody to see. Um, if there was another item, I'm, what's the next item on the list that you'd like to hear about? The Goodness. Uh, how about geothermal? Geothermal. Did you, did you all explore that? <coughs> um, I know that the WDG and the owners have been working on the energy package, so I'll let WDG and, and uh, subtext address the energy package. Sure. <coughs> Hi, uh, I'm Matt uh, with WDG. Um, I don't think we actually in directly investigate geothermal in this site uh, just yet. We actually did a couple more other buildings. And we did find that the foundation work is actually in this area is quite uh, complex. Now, we did actually study the rooftop area for additional uh, renewable uh, uh, energy on site. Uh, that has to be balanced out with also what we're doing with what we're serving the building because we also have to use the building roof for mechanical unit, uh, fresh air intake, uh, you know, uh, HVAC system as well. So we are studying that, that uh, the currently what we're proposing and actually we have already expanded it a little bit more to the amount of solar panel that we can actually put to actually fit on a footprint. Um, so um, that, that, that's where we are. And Scott, do you have anything to add for the geothermal? The constraints, the, the existing site, I'm Scott Betzel of Midwestern Consulting. Good to see you all again. I <laughs> um, also want to just add that the existing site has no stormwater management system, and we're putting in underground detention and getting full infiltration. But the, the rate of infiltration wasn't as great as we liked it, so the expanse of the underground chambers grew, which is, becomes a little prohibitive for the geothermal loops as well. I'm not an expert at it, but I know people have looked at it and said, well, it's 
too bad because it doesn't seem to really work out yeah. as well as it could have for a building of this size. Yeah. From, so. from, from our previous outer project, not in this particular site, we actually know that uh, a lot of these geothermal actually need a lot more footprint compared to the outbuilding footprint and height. Um, so that's why we did not so far investigate a whole lot of investigation of geothermal particular on this site. If I could interrupt for one second, though, Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that a loop system would even be considered for a building this high. You would be doing wells for something like that. So it's really a question of how deep rather than how big the area would be. I know you spoke at the very beginning about having John Beeson on your team, who I've worked with before in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a representative of that group that might be able to speak more clearly to this topic specifically or no? We do not have that person here today. Maybe we can follow up later on. I would suggest that you do because I think that those on the commission and those at city council will likely want to know more specifics about that because I think that that, again, with um, the federal government out there helping with this, it just seems prudent to think through those things as, as possibilities because, frankly, it's free energy. It takes something to put it in, but this is rental. This is part of the power of rental Correct. is that the more you invest in the beginning, can come back to you later on. You know, once that system is paid for, then you're harvesting what is free to everybody, which is the temperature of the ground. So I really would encourage you all to explore that in a meaningful way um, with the people that you've hired on your team to be able to know that. Because I, I know I've worked with John before. I know he's going to know that stuff cold. I'm sure whoever he's working with will be able to advise you well with that. What he needs is a green light from you all and goal setting from you all that that is what you see as part of what you want to achieve. So that's, I think that that's an important piece as you move forward to think about if you all pass tonight. And that's it. Commissioner Dish, you also had some other What's things there? to bring up um, that you had wanted them to respond to, but this was like, 45 minutes ago, so I don't know if... Uh, yeah, that was one tiny thing, and I, I am, I'm always, I really benefit so much by your expertise, Commissioner Gibrandel, and um, so I, I, I would say that council would be very interested in hearing a serious exploration of the possibility of geothermal um, wells. And it, it may not cover everything, but it could cover a lot. I mean, so especially if you have an electric, all electric building, it's only going to help you with, you know, your costs as the building ages. And then the, the question that I had was from the, um, it was from the, the written communications that we got from a few students who mentioned that they had been offered lease extensions through, uh, through the academic year 2023-2024, so till about this time next year. And they were concerned that they'd be displaced by the construction. Yeah, we uh, and we understand that, and we are um, right now just focusing on renewals. Um, and just given the early stages of where we're at right now, um, it's it's difficult for us to not offer those re re renewals. And um, all I can say is that we look to be transparent with those tenants. We look to work closely with those tenants, and uh, and help them. Um, ultimately if this project is approved and we would be proceeding to construction in the fall. Could you be more specific about how you'll help them? Because as we know, leases are, places get leased up for 
the next academic year, usually in the fall, actually, despite our legislative attempts to force that to change. Um, so how would you find uh, beds for, what are they, about 110? Uh, that, that would be the total. Uh, yeah. Right now, it's just those renewals of the tenants that have shown interest mm -hmm. in that. Um, so usually, mm -hmm. we work with our property management team mm -hmm. to work through their connections with other property management groups. Mm -hmm. And they, they can usually identify locations preemptively so that those students mm -hmm. have to, don't have to go out on their own and find it in right. a very tight market. Right. It would be important um, that those be comparably priced to, to what they are planning on based on the renewal that they made with you. Um, because as you know, it's, it's very hard. The prices are very hard for them to, to meet yeah, some of them, especially grad students. But yeah, so thank you. Thank you for the answer. Uh -huh. Anything else? Were there any other questions or responses that folks wanted from the development team? It wasn't asked, but it's a follow-on to kind of Please. what we were discussing. If you were to further explore, and this is, um, I don't know the answer to this. So if you were to further explore geothermal, how hard is it to go from lead silver to lead gold? Um, and maybe that's not you. Maybe that's somebody else on your team. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I will acknowledge that we have not done the full in-depth study of geothermal based on our team's experience of our, of our full project team. Um, given a site this size and the limited area that we have due to our stormwater detention, that we generally feel that that's not going to be cost effective or feasible. But I do acknowledge the, the need for maybe further study into that and having the numbers to back that up. So are we ready for a vote? Yeah. Oh, one more. Well, if I, the other thing, so I, I'm still trying to make up my yeah. mind, yeah, yeah. honestly. Um, and so I just do want to point out one thing that is happening in here in the supplemental regs. So I appreciate the sun study. Um, in the supplemental regs, the height doesn't, I don't see anything in the supplemental regs suggesting that there would be a setback from the northwest corner. And if that is, if, if people care about that, <laughs> which I could only vote for this if that, I mean, I think that, that again, I have this, Oh, I, I think that where there is a viable current zoning or, or zoning district, I think that that makes a whole lot of sense to you. So I'm only comfortable kind of voting for this under the condition, you know, that this is offering something else and that, that can't be achieved. And I think that I have been persuaded, um, but that's missing right now from the supplemental regs. Um, so I know that the development agreement calls for the building to be substantially as it's presented here, or it has to come back to uh, the, this body if there's you know major changes. That you could you could say that the development agreement is covering it, but we could certainly make amendments to the supplemental regulations between here and council as well. Add that same protection so that both documents say the same thing. Okay. The other thing that I thought I would bring up, because again, in this idea of like how 
where should the bar be <laughs> um, between kind of D1 and, and PUDs? Again, I see two different pathways that this could be achievable in D1. And one is through higher um, uh, affordable housing, a 20% rather than a 15%. And the other is through higher sustainability. Or there's a combination of two, and this is why I just asked about gold, because the combination of 15% affordable housing and lead gold also gets you the FAR that is effectively what is being proposed. And so I'm curious from the development team, like whether either of those, either increasing the affordable housing contribution or increasing the commitment to achieve not lead silver, but lead gold is a viable path for your team. Um, as has been acknowledged, the PUD allows for certain other balance of costs and benefits. And so what we've done is partnered with the uh, AHDC and making this $50,000 donation, and that's gonna go directly to sustainability upgrades in their buildings throughout the central area. Um, so the mathematically, I don't know what that would equate to, but I've, I feel like that supports both the affordable housing and the sustainability. And so we're trying to take a creative view at how, how can we best help meet the goals along these different avenues. And again, the constraints of this particular site with regards to the natural features and the setbacks of the, the neighboring property is set back, which is what drove us to provide the setback to kind of be equal with that as well as maintaining the views to that um, uh, grove of trees to the north. Um, so th these are the things that we were pushing and pulling on throughout this whole process and, you know, taking bits and pieces of comments from you all here and from other stakeholders who we've talked to and um, trying to apply them in a creative manner to meet as much as we could. Commissioner Dish. Thank you. I appreciate, of course, the the fact that you've gone almost $100,000 over the 15% threshold for affordable housing contribution. I appreciate the $50,000. I think that that is a, a meaningful thing to do. But uh, given the way that the I will be reporting the discussion as it has been framed here at Planning Commission to Council if this project goes forward to Council. And it I will present to them the question of how do we answer where the bar should be, and I will present to them the options that Commissioner Mills has clearly laid out, and it is possible that council would say, okay, just make it 20. So uh, a $50,000 donation, and I appreciate it very much, and I'm not, not, you know, you've done a lot of work. I'm not trying to naysay that. But I, I, must, I think that that would be over a million, right? If it's 4.7 million is 15%, 20% has to be like 6.5. Yeah, 1.5, yes, yeah, so total uh, close to 6.5 million. So, um, so you'll have, those options will be in front of council to ask you to do. They may say no. You've done enough, if provided this gets to council. I'm not saying that I know that it will. But I would really want to see the math from you as to what the effect that would have on your, uh, on your financials if, if we pressed you to a 20% uh, 
affordable contribution. Because I'm not saying that council would, but again, we need the numbers. If you really think that geothermal understanding that you're not talking area, but you're talking depth, if you think it's not feasible there, we would need to see why. And if moving from 15 to 20% affordable kills you, need to know, need to see it, open to hearing. Okay? All right, thank you. Thanks. Commissioner Weich, did you have something that you wanted to? I did. It was just a really quick thing because I heard Commissioner Mills ask, like, you can, or state that you could get this to D1 if it was at 15% affordability and lead gold. 15. Right. Did I say 50? It sounded like it, but yeah, I'm just saying. I think in my, head, I, I my understanding 15. from the table was 15% uh, gets you uh, 150%, and right. gold gets you another 150%. So right, so then that would get you to the 300% FAR. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on where you are with lead silver, right? So are, it's a 50 to 59 point range, and gold, is it starts at 60. So if you are already going to be at 59, go to go to 60 and it sounds like you have convinced uh, Commissioner Mills. So if someone wants to commit to that at the table, um, it sounds like you have convinced Commissioner Mills. But if no one wants to commit to that, you'll have to roll the dice and see how the vote's going to go. <laughs> I guess the only other thing I would say is, is Mr. Kowalski, is there anything you would like to add? This is not our typical situation and I just want to give you some space to be able to just respond to what people have said and if there's things you've been interfacing with all the staff on this and just are there things that you would want to be able to add to the conversation here no I mean I think it you guys have had a great discussion I mean it was one that you know staff struggles with as well for many of the reasons that you guys had pointed out that were benefits of the project uh, but no I mean I think my staff, what it really comes down to as well as, as Commissioner Mills hit it, and it wasn't as clearly identified in my report, is that is, is the zoning district here is that it's not, there's nothing that's truly unique about the site that requires a PUD other than requiring extra density. So, but, but I, or other than acquiring extra density through that. But, and I acknowledge we're at this unique point in our, our comprehensive plans uh, as, as well as our existing zoning in there, and that. Like I said clearly in my report, it's acknowledged that, you know, this may not be what's there now. The zoning-wise, I mean, I don't think anybody necessarily agrees is the correct density for that area for many of the reasons you guys highlighted here. But, again, it, it was just a tough, we have to look, staff, again, you guys have more of an ability to kind of look at that overall picture and see. But I'm looking at what's presented to me and the documents that I have to go by. And again, like this affordable housing is it's a tremendous contribution, but we do have to, I have to kind of break it down to what were they given just as a requirement. And, and, and yes, they're going up above and beyond that um, in, a, in a couple of different areas. But again, looking at all my documents that I have to put together, looking at the context, look at where we are in, in history and, and trying to compare this if the PUD comes in next door. Um, so those are, or, you know, across the next block over and things like that. So that's kind of how we looked at the entire picture. So, but, but I, I mean, I acknowledge the petitioner. They, they've worked with, as far as I feel comfortable, as they, they, they could go and they've made plenty of changes. And so, no, I mean, I think this has all been a great discussion. We've got lots of good things for council to, um, 
address as well. So no, I appreciate the opportunity to add that. The only other thing I would say is I think, um, Commissioner Mills, the question regarding the supplemental regs, and, and you're correct, what's in there now is it's kind of just an envelope. So you're correct. As shown on that plan, it dips down. This, the supplemental regs would not guarantee that. Um, and I know uh, uh, Mr. Moore had addressed that, the, the, the elevations, which is true to a certain degree, I think that, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with just that. I could, again, with, if I hear agreement from the overall commission, I mean, I, I think we can easily, between myself and the petitioner, work to frame the supplemental regs so you get the structure of the building more exactly. I mean, we can say a setback here to this length and things like that. So I believe there's a way we can structure that to address Commissioner Mills' concerns. So, and, I mean, with that, I think I'm done. Okay. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you. All right, are we ready? Ready as we'll ever be? For a vote. A vote on the motions as presented. Commissioner Weish. Yes. Commissioner Clark. Yes. Commissioner Dish. Yes. Commissioner Hammersmith. No. Commissioner Abrams. Yes. Commissioner Sove. Yes. Commissioner Gib Randall. Yes. Commissioner Mills. No. Uh, that motion carries. That vote carries. All righty. I think we should take a body break um, for 10 minutes. We'll reconvene at 5 minutes to 10. <coughs>
Alrighty, let's begin. We are on to item 8C, which is a 121 Catherine Street site plan. And uh, let's see, do we have a description for this one? We do not have a description for this one. So um, I guess we will uh, start with the staff presentation. Uh, let's start with the petitioner presentation. Oh, petitioner presentation, boy, I am feeling it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the crowd, you know, so yeah, I know exactly, really. Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jennifer Hall, the executive director of the Ann Arbor Housing Commission. Uh, this site is one of 10 city-owned properties uh, that the city council in 2019 directed the housing commission and other city staff to evaluate for affordable housing. Um, and to develop those sites if they were determined to be financially feasible locations. I am here with my development team. We have some folks that are here in person. Uh, many of them are online as well, who will be presenting and answering questions. Uh, Jack Schroeder and Ashley Wendella will be presenting from Land and Bone Baker Architects. Uh, Aubrey Patino and Wendy Carty-Saxon are here from Avalon Housing. Uh, Kathy Kyneth from Macon Engineering. Darren McKenna from DMC Real Estate Services. Tim Stout from O'Neill Construction. Um, and we also have a unique part of our development team, which is that we have uh, a number of black leaders that are consulting with us, including Angela Davis is here in person, um, who are here to um, as our community leadership council. The community leadership council is designing and creating a community and cultural space to support and honor the historically black neighborhood, as well as business district that used to be located um, in this area and has been displaced and lost by economic gentrification. All of the housing that we are providing is for households at or below 60% of the area median income. Half are reserved as supportive housing and half are, is reserved for people who are working in or um, hobbyists in the creative fields. Uh, but since we are here to talk about the building and the site plan, um, I'm going to turn this over to our architect to go through the site plan with you and they will be online. Hello there, Jack Schroeder. Can you all hear me and see my screen? We can. Great, uh, I'm Jack Schroeder with the LBBA. Um, really excited to present to you all. Appreciate your time and attention. I'll move pretty quickly. You know, it's already been a long evening, so um, I will move through it and show you our program and kind of our aesthetic uh, feel for the building. I hope you've cite, cited it. Um, but um, always open for more questions if I do move too quickly. So um, this is our development, 121 Catherine Street, um, mixed use with uh, six stories tall, 63 units of housing, uh, 62 of which are one bedroom, one two-bedroom unit. Um, we're proposing 16 parking places, uh, and you can see in this image where it sits, right at the corner of Fourth and Catherine in the Carytown district, right across from the market. Um, just a few contextual photos, just a place. I know everybody's very familiar with this site. Um, this is our shared public alley, uh, looking down from Catherine Street, and then just the current use of the site, which is a surface parking lot, a public service park, uh, surface parking lot. Um, so we're 
bringing some parking backwards certainly wouldn't match the counts here, um, but kind of delivering a higher use for the site, uh, we think. Um, looking around at the immediate context, you know, we love the texture and material of these buildings that are around, and we hope to pull some of that into our architecture. And we really love the walkability of this area, the ability to use the walks for some gathering, um, dining, and, and different activities. So we're excited to be a part of this, of this fabric. Um, this is the building in its current state. Uh, we're, we're held pretty close to the corner to form the sort of urban wall that we think would best fit the site. Um, we pulled back a little bit off of Catherine, a little bit additional off of the um, public property there uh, to mark our main entry for the residents and then our main entry for this uh, future, future cultural community space that we're working with the community council on. Um, the first two floors of the building are kind of a red brick masonry to uh, work with a lot of what surrounds. You know, it is cleaner lines, a little more modern, but we're trying to bring some of that texture in um, that we see kind of throughout the neighborhood. And then the upper four levels uh, transition, they step in at the second floor and transition to multiple uh, profiles, colors of metal panels that give kind of a modern light look to those upper levels. And then we use large openings and portion to kind of um, uh, break up that, that mass um, along the urban face there. Um, jumping into our first floor plan and site plan, um, along 4th, there, there were currently two two-way entries off of 4th. We're reducing that down to one one-way entry uh, where we hit 16 parking spaces, two of which will be uh, EV parking uh, that will be shared parking or shared car spaces for the residents. And then the remaining parking is, is meant to be used for public. Uh, two additional of uh, those spots are EV as well. Um, kind of managing generator, waste, uh, transformers, all of our kind of services are kind of held back here off of the alley. And then there's a two-way driving exit um, out of the alley. Um, at our main level, as I said before, we're set back. This hatched area is the setback from the public way. Um, this is our main residential entry, and we like that that's sort of placed down at the corner in our most public space, this community and art space, is down at grade with large openings to kind of match the commercial uh, of the surrounding areas. Um, this kind of pinkish space on my screen is that uh, cultural community space. We're still in the process of planning exactly what that will be, um, but we love that it's set off of Catherine and again has this like kind of large public space uh, out in the front. A um, little more programming for the residential. Uh, this is our main core, mailboxes, packages, front desks, uh, interior, bike parking, um, social services, property management. So really kind of your basic needs um, are met down on this level and then you proceed up through the elevators to residential floors. Uh, this is just our basement. There's a smaller basement on uh, on the Catherine side that will not really be accessed by uh, clients or residents. This is just mechanical storage, uh, janitorial. 
Um, and then jumping up to the second floor, this is that elevator core. Uh, as I said previously, it's really mostly one bedroom units. Um, really simple modern plans, open kitchens, pretty generous living space and uh, one bedroom off of that space. Um, it's all visitable. Um, you know, we, we tend to design all of our developments with universal access in mind. And then we're able to bring some units up for even uh, further accessibility. Um, this is the, the one two bedroom. Um, the reason this corner can afford that is that we're still uh, stepped out into that uh, second floor. Um, masonry portion of the building. And then moving up through the building, you see where the building steps back. Um, we're all one bedrooms. So if we move up through, we stack all the way up. And then I will jump up to the sixth floor where there's a second um, kind of community core. Um, there's an exam and cons uh, consultation room. Uh, this can be used for uh, physical health, mental health, exams, um, Avalon has, has had programs where they bring in uh, outside programs so they can use this space. Uh, shared laundry that's adjacent to another community space um, with the public bath. So we think this, there's kind of the main level and then there's also this, this kind of bunch of public stuff up at the, up at the top. Um, our roof uh, currently has green roof to kind of mitigate some of the storm water. Um, and One more minute in your solar. presentation. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, solar ready. Um, I do want to hit just a little bit of our um, green strategy. We are doing national green building standard green plus net zero. Uh, we are all electric, uh, full disclosure, except for the generator. Um, and we have been trying to explore any options that exist to avoid that. But that's the low uh, gas piece of our project. Uh, as I said, solar ready, um, EV parking, and we're actually in the process of uh, trying to see if we can make geothermal work. Uh, we're actually exploring using the public way for our wells because we occupy our site so completely <laughs> and we want to maintain some access to those wells for, for future maintenance. Um, and I'll wrap it up there. And I thank you for your time. Thank you. Any other um, comments from staff on the project? City Planner DeLeo is joining us remotely. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. I have a um, pretty brief um, staff report to provide, mostly to keep um, Everyone on track, thank you. As um, Ben mentioned, this is the 121 Catherine Street site plan project. Um, site is located at the northwest corner of Catherine and North 4th Avenue. The zoning designations are D2, which is the downtown interface for the base zoning district. It is the Carytown character overlay zoning district, and it has secondary street. Alexis, plans. could you pause yeah. for a minute? And Mr. Shorter, could you stop sharing your screen for a moment? Oh yeah, oh, we're not seeing we're not seeing your screen, Alexis. So, there we I'm go. I'm sorry. Great. Sorry Thank that. you. Are you seeing a page that says staff report? Now we're good. Yep. Go ahead. This was the only slide that you missed. Um, so 
Northwest corner, um, Catherine, D2, Carytown character, secondary street frontage. Site is a little less than 17,000 square feet. Um, the proposed development is um, a little more than 52,000 square foot, six story, 63 apartment residential building with some ground floor commercial and residential support service space. It includes 16 to 18 parking spaces underneath and behind the building. More in a second. Some notable details about that project. It includes premium floor area. Specifically, they are using the affordable residential unit premium option, which gives an increase over the 200% base FAR and allows um, up to, um, with their 100% affordable um, project, they are allowed to go up to 400% floor end ratio. They are also using the exception to height limit, specifically the affordable housing development exception that allows affordable housing developments to exceed the height limits. Um, this one is only exceeding it by one foot, but um, they are using that exception that is available to them. Um, I think it's well covered that this is a 100% affordable housing project, but it is a notable detail of the project. It also includes ground floor mixed use. Um, I think Mr. Shorter has well covered the sustainability aspects. Um, the parking, this project um, is pr proposing public parking. Um, you can also get a premium for that in the D1 district, but never, nevertheless, uh, this project is promoting public parking. It was a key concern of the neighborhood about the loss of the public parking from this surface parking lot. Um, it's used by a lot of the businesses. Um, it's especially popular place to park on the farmer's market days. And this project um, went to great lengths to include parking, um, uh, put back parking as part of it. There are 18 spaces shown on the proposed site plan on file. They may need to go down to 16 spaces because the two spaces closest to the wall and closest to North 4th Avenue are extremely difficult to access um, from North 4th Avenue. And the turning movement might be too difficult. So those two spaces are in flux, but nevertheless, um, the number of spaces that are provided will be managed by the Downtown Development Authority, except for two, which will be reserved for the development. Um, the Catherine, oops, sorry, the Catherine Street streetscape um, has been pushed back. The building is, has a five foot setback. Um, the required setback is between zero and 10 feet. And this allows for a little bit more space for the amenity zone and the public sidewalk zone. Um, the, that side of the site will also have an alternative parkland contribution of some benches. Um, we did not request the normal parkland contribution with this project, but we still wanted um, some sort of public recreational type of amenity. The North 4th Avenue streetscape um, does not have any doors. It does not um, need that door swing area then but the streetscape is being improved by a little bit wider sidewalk and a wider amenity zone. If you look at the entire block to the north of this site, there is more tree lawn space um, and the sidewalk jogs. So this will, um, in the end, this project will align the curb line and sidewalk for the entire block of North 4th Avenue. We have um, unusual for staff, but we have um, um, recommended a conditional approval um, and we have listed the conditions in the motion. 
One of them has already been satisfied, but I will go through them um, fairly quickly and just sort of explain that this project um, is very close to meeting all of our development standards. We have a fairly long lead time in advertising for a public hearing. And we advertised for this public hearing, um, but as it turns out, there are a few details that um, uh, still need to be addressed. In general, they're minor technical issues and they won't affect the layout or the development program or what is being proposed. Um, so we do comfortably recommend conditional approval. The outstanding items deal with clarifying the, the street trees that are proposed, confirming the exit site distance and providing bump outs on the plan, um, a change to the sequence of construction, recycling uh, dump, compactor dumpster details and providing bollards to protect that thing. Um, there is a public access easement that is needed and is proposed, but we need to nail down some of that documentation um, and clarify the alley restoration and some ownership information of the things that are going in the right of way in the amenity zone. Uh, it was it listed as a condition of approval to uh, confirm the sanitary mitigation analysis that was actually completed yesterday. There is sufficient dry capacity for this project. But as typical, they'll need to participate in the offset mitigation program for the wet capacity. Um, the fire marshal made a comment that um, it's a little bit rhetorical, um, but uh, they just need to acknowledge that there are building codes that impact the green roof, um, the green roof and deals with the surface area that it can be because it is vegetated material um, that if it gets dry, it could be a fire hazard. Um, and the, um, a, a condition related to um, showing some of the sidewalk and amenity zone design on the site plan or on the civil engineering drawings. Um, I am happy to answer any additional follow-up questions, but staff is recommending conditional approval um, of this project at 121 Catherine. Thanks. Okay, we will move on to the public hearing. It's an opportunity for persons to speak up to three minutes. Uh, we'll first call in individuals who are present and then we'll move on to remote. Um, if for phone access, call 877-853-5247 and enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226. Uh, city staff will select callers that have raised their hands. Um, you'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. Please move to a quiet area. For either method, please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Is there anybody present that would like to speak about this petition? <laughs> um, hello, my name is Angela Davis. My address is 118 West Kingsley Street. Um, this project actually is um, very long overdue, one, because of affordable housing. Two, I love the project and a lot of the members that are participating in this project are happy that where this location is, as we all know, is historically black district, which is now has become pretty heavily gentrified. So with that said, giving back to that area is, is significant to us, myself, my, my grandparents, um, got the first house there on West Kingsley Street. You know about DeLong's barbecue pit, We're over there, that is now becoming a high rise. So 
as much as this city needs affordable housing and that in that particular area, a lot of the black residents have been displaced for many reasons, you know, it, this particular project helps to give back. And we, uh, the leaders on the council committee, are very much appreciative with the planning commission coming to hear, allowing us to present this to you, you're listening, and hopefully that based on the condition of, of approval that you approve the project to go forward. We are um, actually in the midst of really nailing down what we're going to use. Um, the 2,000 square foot area and the pinkish area that was um, presented on the slide. We have a number of um, hubs, if you will, ideas that we want to use that would actually give back to the community that not only will say, okay, well, this is just, you know, to give back to the black community, but it is to embrace all of the diverse cultures and backgrounds that we have in this city so that we all can thrive as one unit. And so this is all that I have to say to show you that, hey, I'm here and to give my support and, and I pray that it also is a, a favor among you all as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Anybody else present that would like to address the planning commission? Hi, Adam Goodman, 400 Virginia, one more time. Um, before I moved to my current residence, I lived basically around the corner from Miller Manor. And, you know, not only was this, I was there for eight years, and this was never a problem, but, but not only that, I was actually kind of in awe of, of that building and what it represented. You know, first of all, it's, it's in a really desirable place in Ann Arbor. It's close to downtown. It's next to one of our nicest parks. Um, that we, we provide affordable public housing in our community, uh, not just at, in a variety of locations, not just at the sort of fringes near the highway ring, right? And then I went through Ann Arbor Community Academy, and I, as part of that, got a, a tour of the facility and an explanation of how it works from some of the folks who are in this room tonight. And that, that just blew my mind even more, you know, learning that about that it's, it's not just we're providing housing, it's permanent supportive housing, which only works in, in cooperation and partnership with private nonprofits like Avalon Housing. We are ensuring that the most vulnerable people in our community can have a place to live and all of the services that they need to stay housed. Um, this sort of thing, you know, I'm, I'm often at this podium or calling in virtually complaining about things in Ann Arbor that we're not doing enough. Uh, but, but this is something that really makes me proud to be an Ann Arborite. Um, I'm, I, I think it's amazing. Uh, of course, we're not doing enough. <laughs> we need more. And this Catherine project, you know, I think it, 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 you know, it's many of the things I just said but it's also new, and it's so much more challenging to build affordable public housing now than it was in the sort of federal policy environment back when a place like Miller Manor was built. And so it, it's great that we're doing this. I'm so excited. Um, if, I had to, if I had to nitpick one thing, it would be the parking. Um, I, if you look around the, the, the Carytown area, so much of it, so much of the ground level space is used up by car storage. 
And uh, I think it's a little bit ridiculous, honestly. So, and, and, and new development is an opportunity to change this, and we keep seeing new development not do that. You know, there's the Fifth and Detroit project, which most of the ground floor is parking, and this, I guess half, half of the lot is gonna be parking. It's like four blocks from Blake Transit Center next to one of our brand new bikeways. I, I really just don't see that as necessary. But in the spirit of not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, I don't think that's a reason to oppose this tonight. I just hope in the future we can do better. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, once again, Scott Trudeau, 526 North Main. Um, I am a nearby neighbor of this project. I live about 1,000 feet from this site, um, and I'm here to express my enthusiastic support um, and welcome our future new neighbors. Um, I'm very happy to see this moving forward. Um, I particularly appreciate um, the work that has been done to engage with black residents and former residents um, who have been displaced from this neighborhood, um, as, as we've learned about, um, and really acknowledge that reality and take one small step in repairing the damage we've done as we've, um, the city has grown, the demand for living here has grown, and we haven't made room for people. And when we don't make room for people, then people get pushed out. And the people who get pushed out are the people who have the least means and the least access and have faced other systemic oppression in the past. Um, and so that's, and we've done that over and over and over again through the history of the city um, to come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't do something. Um, so I'm excited to see this as a step going in the other direction. Uh, I encourage you all to approve it. Um, we also are longtime neighbors of another Avalon supportive housing um, development right next door to us. Um, and we are they're happy to have all the Avalon tenants as neighbors, um, as I wrote, uh, in response to a proposed project in Dexter a couple years ago that in, in particular we appreciate living in a neighborhood with our, and raising our daughter and our family where she can see that she, she, an intrinsic sense of who belongs, like who belongs in this neighborhood and it's everybody and we make space for everybody. Despite their backgrounds, despite their you know, different struggles, different challenges, everybody has a place. Um, so let's create more of those places. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else present? And we have folks that are lined up in we do. the we, virtual world. There are currently five people in the queue, to, six people to speak on this item, the first of which is Adam Jeskevich. You have permission to speak. Hello, this is Adam Jeskevich calling from the fourth ward, 1430 Las Vegas Drive. I support the proposed affordable housing development at 121 Catherine. I'm very happy that the Ann Arbor Housing Commission has partnered with Avalon Housing to bring this development forward. We are in a housing crisis and building high quality, affordable housing downtown in an extremely desirable area where it is close to jobs, transportation and daily needs is essential. We also live, we're also in a climate crisis. So housing people in a situation where they may not need to drive a personal car every day is also important. This site is ideally located near transit and on our great new downtown bikeway network. Thank you to the Ann Arbor Housing Commission, Jennifer Hall, and of course to Avalon Housing for making this possible and for all the important work that you do. Housing is a human right. 
This is why I voted for the affordable housing millage, so that Housing Commission could leverage a portion of my tax dollars into building as much affordable housing as possible. This is also why I support Avalon Housing. Avalon and their residents are an important part of our community, and I'm grateful to have them here. I believe in Avalon's mission, so earlier today I made a donation to Avalon Housing. I encourage others to do so as well. And please approve this project tonight. Thank you. Thank you. The next person in the queue is caller with phone number ending in 403. You have permission to speak. Hi, uh, can you hear me? We can, we can hear you. Hello. That's awesome, thank you. Um, so my name is Jim Pike. I live in the fifth ward and I live about a mile due uh, west of this site. And uh, others have spoken very eloquently in support of it. Uh, so I won't even try to match their eloquence. I just wanna say, that I really uh, support this. I really appreciate all the hard work that has gone into developing this. I wish it were twice as tall of a building, but uh, I, I don't wanna let that stop me from supporting it. Um, so uh, I guess I'll just say the word support uh, one more time <laughs> and uh, thank you for your time. And again, thank everyone for their effort. That's it. Thank you. The next caller is phone number ending in 274. You have permission to speak. You may need to press star six. I'm home. My name is Jean Leverett, and I'm calling from the fifth ward of Ann Arbor. And I um, also went through the Ann Arbor Community Academy, and um, I'm now on the Housing and Human Resources Advisory Board. And so I've been following um, the housing crisis in Ann Arbor very closely. And I am calling because I wanted to say that I'm really excited about the commitment that the city of Ann Arbor has to really beginning to step up to provide housing to the most vulnerable populations in Ann Arbor. We need affordable housing downtown, and I think that this is a fabulous development. As people have said, it would be great if it were taller um, and could have more housing, but it's lovely that it's coming and that it's there. And um, Avalon does a great job and is a great community partner, and I just wanted to call in and say that I really support this project. Thank you. Thank you. The next caller is phone number ending in 955. You have permission to speak. Hi, good evening. Kirk Westfall again, 3505 Charter Place. Uh, just calling to support this project. I'm super excited uh, for what it portends for the future of, of other uh, city-initiated uh, housing developments downtown um, and, and outside of downtown. I hope that this might even 
inspire other government entities in the area to make better use of their land as well as, as we move forward with it. Um, I think the building looks like a, a well laid out and functioning and, and attractive um, addition. I, I, I really hope that the uh, petitioner finds a viable commercial tenant that will be an enhancement to the residents and the neighborhood for the ground floor. That's something that really came out in some of the public sessions. Um, and I think, uh, you know, my, my fear is that if there aren't definitive plans for the ground floor spaces that they'll just eventually be used up for storage or something like that. And, that, you know, that would obviously be be, uh, be a shame. Um, I think uh, just a word about the process, um, speaking of public feedback, I, I think it's a significant problem that a merchant group was able to override what, what I perceived as fairly unanimous public sentiment at the public information sessions and the feedback sessions that folks didn't want parking here. Um, maybe a few spots for residents or people serving the residents, but um, there are literally hundreds of parking spots available on a daily basis within two blocks of this. And on top of that, I think it's simply an environmental justice issue for us to expose the residents to idling cars of public parking um, and a terribly inefficient use of space for a small, a small lot. Um, but that, that being said, uh, a fantastic project on balance and really excited to move forward. Thanks. Our next caller of three remaining is Amanda Carlisle. You have permission to speak. This is Amanda Carlisle. I live at 1619 Waltham Drive, and I serve as the executive director of the Washtenaw Housing Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization working as a coalition of a number of organizations to end homelessness in Washtenaw County. And WHA's office is actually across from the Catherine Street site proposed for development as affordable housing by Avalon. The Housing Alliance supports the Catherine Street proposal that has been developed, and um, it looks like what we see is the you know staff recommending um, approval with conditions which seem pretty minor and that can be met. So, um, as you all know, we have a great need. It's been talked about a lot tonight for new housing and particularly affordable and supportive housing for our community members with the lowest income levels. And the site is truly ideal for its location near the transit center and bus routes, businesses needing both employees and patrons, and the many services downtown and nearby. Future residents of the site will have a wonderful new home in a location that can't be beat. Um, it is my hope that this project moves forward tonight with the necessary site plan approvals. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The next caller is Luis Vasquez. You have permission to speak? 
thank you, uh, Ann Arbor uh, Planning Commission, for the opportunity uh, to speak again. Um, I, I think uh, this is a no-brainer. Um, uh, and uh, I would just also like to echo, you know, the sentiments that um, maybe this uh, project should be taller. And um, uh, I mean, you can always repurpose parking, right? If uh, you find out that it's not uh, really truly providing a benefit um, to the project. So, uh, yep, uh, general support uh, all the way. Um, get this thing built. Uh, we really need projects like this. Um, call me impressed uh, at what, what I've seen uh, presented so far. But yeah, once again, um, build it up, build them all, build them tall. Uh, there's parking close by, plenty of parking close by. Uh, a structure that's uh, underutilized uh, within walking distance of uh, this development. I mean, and it hits on everything. So um, thank you. Uh, have a great night. Um, uh, I urge you all to uh, support this uh, project. Thanks. Thank you. The last hand raised is Alex Lowe. You have permission to address the Planning Commission. Hi, this is Alex Lowe, still calling in from the third ward. For a bit of additional history on the spot, in, uh, in, in addition to the well-known uh, uh, history of Kerrytown and what's already been said, at the turn of the 20th century, this, uh, this location at 121 Catherine Street was a blacksmith shop. By 1920, it had become a, uh, the home of, amongst other things, the Ann Arbor Packing Company. By the 1930s, it was the Ann Arbor Dairy Washtenaw County's premier manufacturer of ice cream. It had an exciting and dynamic history until 60 years and one week ago when destruction came. Today, the spot is yet another crater in the lunar surface the 1960s made of so many American cities, a gash in the fabric of our community, a surface parking lot. To the south, another surface parking lot. To the northeast, or you guessed it, a surface parking lot. And to the west, a dry cleaner. Oh, and a gas station in the surface parking lot. Parking lots, parking lots, everywhere. A beautiful urban forest, pockmarked with meteor strikes for over 50 years. So it's wonderful to see this property finally being repaired. This is such a fantastic project. But why are we only limiting ourselves to six uh, floors and a sp smaller footprint than the Ann Arbor Dairy Building? As others have alluded to, this, part, uh, uh, this project pro uh, provides under 2% of the over 1,000 parking spaces within a three-minute walk. Is that 2% really going to make the, uh, the difference? I don't think so. I truly believe that Avalon are doing the very best that they can given the restrictions the city have placed on this site, and I admire their work. I think the public comment has so far has been unanimously in favor of this project. So I guess I have a question for, uh, for the city. How do we get more of this? How do we allow the next wonderful project like this to be bigger 
to be more support to, uh, 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 to, uh, to the community and to make even more of a difference than this one is making. Thank you. Thank you. Since um, the last caller was speaking, there has been one additional hand raised, which is caller ending in 648. You have permission to address the Planning Commission. Hey there, this is Sarah Nisbet, 837 West Huron Street. Um, I am just learning about this project tonight in the meeting, and I'm so excited to see um, this development. It looks amazing and like an awesome use of the space. Um, so like the other callers before me, I am just wanting to express my um, support for this awesome, awesome development. Um, my only comment would be I would love to see the facade of this building matching better the historic um, nature of the neighborhood. Um, if only because I think that would actually enhance the experience of living in the building. I'm a big believer in the way that architecture can lift and elevate our lives. And I, I feel like something that was perhaps more harmonious with the neighborhood um, and a little bit less austere might, might do that better. Um, and I guess I also wonder what guidelines there are um, for this district, for the more historic areas of Ann Arbor's downtown. But uh, fundamentally, I just want to applaud this and say I look forward to more things coming up like this in Ann Arbor. And great job. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, I will read the proposed motion, which is the Ann Arbor City Planning Commission approves the 121 Catherine Street Site Plan and Development Agreement subject to addressing outstanding service unit comments summarized as, one, clarify plan for street trees, two, confirm wrong way exiting vehicle site distance and provide bump out at end of loading zone, Three, revise sequence of construction regarding curbing and first course of asphalt. Four, provide details of recycled compactor dumpster and add protection bollards for electrical equipment. Five, propose and detail a public access easement. Note the need for a temporary grading easement. Clarify limits of restoration in alley and note ownership of certain features in right of way. Six, sanitary mitigation approval. Seven, note necessary compliance for green roof. And eight, adjust width of sidewalk and amenity zone and street tree and street light spacing. Moved by Commissioner Mills, seconded by Commissioner White. We are in discussion. Commissioner White. So I just want to uh, just, uh, again, share my strong support uh, for uh, this development. And I would love to just tell a quick story. Um, I've lived in Ann Arbor now uh, since 1997, and I did not know about um, the sort of African-American community that was um, in residence in Carytown until uh, Reverend Roger Brown, uh, who's a minister in Ypsilanti but grew up in uh, the area near Willer Park, took me on a walking tour. And it was a chance for us to get together. We met at the farmer's market, and he just walked me through and pointed out everything, including his childhood home, uh, where there, I guess, was a hog farm, the junkyard. We walked all the way to the Argo uh, Cascade and over the bridge and back, which I didn't even know you could get to at that time, having lived here uh, for almost a decade. 
And then that sent me on a journey, a journey of learning about uh, the contributions of our African-American community, uh, the, their placement in Carytown, and the very nature that almost all of the building materials that came in through the trains had to be offloaded and then carted and taken through this area to build out the rest of our city. And so um, it's my pleasure, it's my joy to sit here at this table uh, Ms. Davis, thank you so much for the work that you have done in leading um, the, the, the community and getting feedback. I think that that's a sign, a good sign of how we can get good community support and feedback. We just had a presentation at our working session about the fact that the most people that we hear from, present company excluded, are white, wealthy landowners. And so it's uh, really glad, I'm just so grateful to see that you took a different approach with this. I'm grateful that um, you are reclaiming this space and building housing. And I think I asked in our pre-session, uh, uh, why didn't you build it bigger? And so I do have a question, which is, if I remember correctly, you're not building it bigger because you have maxed out your funding. And then um, I'm going to join the chorus against the parking. And I, uh, in addition to uh, my support for this, I also talked to some of the business owners in Carytown um, to try to understand what the concerns were. And I appreciate that you all are taking it on yourself to put this parking here. But I actually think it's an issue of the city, that the city needs to address the fact that we don't do a, a good enough job of highlighting where there is parking for people who come out of town. I live here, I know how to avoid paying for parking. Everyone should really park at the Catholic parking lot that's up the street, and I'll take the heat on that because it sits empty on most Saturdays. But um, I don't think you all should have to bear that responsibility. Um, I don't think we should be setting aside 16 spaces for car storage, um, even though those will be fun generating car storage. Um, I think that should be given over to you uh, completely. And so if anyone from the development team uh, can just help us understand, like, can if you didn't have to do the parking, do you have enough money to put something else in there? Or do you have to do the parking because you have run out of money? And I think that's my question. I'm going to actually um, respond to partially to the money thing first. Um, in the type of financing that we use for this site, we do have to layer um, like the 10 layer cake of, of different kind of capital stacks of financing, um, which is not unusual, but in particular for affordable housing. The largest source is uh, low income housing tax credits. Um, it's becoming a smaller and smaller portion of this site because of our uh, costs of construction have gone up so significantly. Um, so it does make me wonder about the brain damage of going through that process for $13 million <laughs> instead of it being half of our cost. It's, you know, like 20% of our cost. Um, but that does limit the um, the height isn't such a thing, it's like the number of units and the total development cost. And because of the um, footprint of that site, it does limit us to a five or six story building. And once our construction costs came in, it made it even harder. Um, and because of a variety of 
and I apologize, Angela, because I said it wasn't the city, but it is city regulations, the layers and layers of regulations that the city puts on our project um, really made the cost go up even further. And so one of the things we had to change was the facade of the building. It's much flatter, plainer, unattractive. I am hoping what we do with it um, as one person who has control over that is have more artistic design into it after it's built so it isn't so plain. Um, related to all of that, related to the parking, the parking is not a costly part of our site. Um, there is definitely strong opinions on both sides. Uh, Angela was just telling us how she wished it was dedicated for uh, tenants to be able to use. Um, and we've heard that from some of our other CLC members who would like it not to be public parking, but would still like there to be parking there. Um, I see it as a, as a f in some ways, flexible space. I think one of the callers said you could do something with it later. Um, and I kind of view it that way as well, is like spilling out of this first floor um, space that we see as a very vibrant area can be a lot of activities that can spill out into that um, lot. It would be nice if there was um, some flexibility in, in how we use that in the future, I agree. Does that answer all of your questions? I mean, yes, it, it sounds like you're going to keep the parking. I was hoping you'd give me another answer. <laughs> if someone told me I can't have parking there, I would not have parking there. You cannot have parking there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay because I'll probably be answering the rest of those questions. Commissioner Clark. So yeah, thanks again for coming out tonight. Um, I'm really excited to see, especially such a central location, um, activated and developed and managed by an organization that's repeatedly demonstrated investment in this community over 30 years. And it's just um, really cool to think about that, that over 30 years, this organization, um, you know, volunteers, staff, um, and the tenants have worked together to set gold standard in the state of Michigan, even nationally recognized for affordable and supportive housing. Um, so we're really lucky to be having Avalon build this here, and especially that, you know, they kind of live the values of kindness, openness, radical acceptance, and it really represents the best of Ann Arbor, and putting that in the central location again um, is really just important. I know that um, this process has been very uh, in-depth and has reflected a deep understanding of Avalon that Avalon has with their tenants. Um, I really appreciate the intention um, as an example of the public engagement process. Um, and by the way, you don't have to stand up here full time. I'll leave one question at the end. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about me. Um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, I just wanted to say that you know the, I think it's been really impressive how thoughtful and reflective the public engagement process has been for the site. It's been sensitive to the history and the context. Um, I appreciate the deep listening, uh, centering voices that have historically been excluded from the city's growth and acknowledging that. Um, and I also have full confidence that this development will be managed for long-term good for the entire community, including uh, current future residents of all means. Um, the site is ideal for inclusion, access to amenities that Ann Arbor has to offer. And I'm sure that this is a process that, um, and responsibility that Avalon and Ann Arbor Housing Commission is not taken lightly, um, just being familiar with your work. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to have the property developed, these standards. I do think it's kind of a fun fact, maybe not so fun, but um, the developments like this that are used public subsidies, like LIHTC, as Jennifer mentioned earlier, um, 
they're held to higher standards and regulations and market rate developments. And so this is going to be a high-quality development with every de uh, detail thoughtfully planned out from the earliest stages. Um, just, and Avalon's has a track record of demonstrating that. Um, now, with all that said, I do want to bring up parking. Um, <laughs> and I just want to gently kind of um, ask for consideration that making sure that the design and interaction between the housing residents and um, the parking is carefully managed, that there's no unwanted interaction between potentially like security services and tenants, um, and making sure that there's clear delineation of private and public space so there's no confusion or so that tenants don't feel like their space is being, um, you know, kind of violated by the public coming in and out of the parking. Um, also, you know, I'm, again, I've said a lot about Avalon just having a track record and in intentional development for the benefit of the entire community and really knowing and understanding their client, uh, tenants. So um, this is more just kind of uh, a little just extra, like, kind of push, I guess, just to make sure that all those things are thought out, which I'm sure they, you know, will be. Um, and then that, like, noise, pollution, safety, and building access are, are going to be carefully separated. And uh, aside from that, well, even including that, because I'm very excited to have this, and I know that it'll be carefully stewarded. Commissioner Mills. I want to echo one of the um, things that was brought up in public comment, which was uh, a question for you. Uh, how do we get more of this? And I want to note that, I mean, you have an, an affordable, a fully affordable all-electric building, which are things that we, these are the, two things that we regularly are asking for. Um, I'll also note that it's net zero ready, but not, not net zero. And so can you talk to us a little bit, both about how affordable, about the all electric component, fading that into your kind of program, perform, or whatever the, the thing is called. And then you mentioned in the, in the response that you gave to Commissioner Weich about the expensive things that we, that the city requires. Talk to us about some of those things because, yeah, if you can, to the yeah. extent that you're willing. But yes, okay, uh, let me break this down. Um, height. Um, I'm going to ask Darren to come up and stand next to me and correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, certain things happen to our design of the building that add cost. Um, we, we actually started from underground and worked our way up one day and tried to um, list all of those. And so uh, starting from underground, um, stormwater requirements is a very expensive cost to um, our site. Um, what are the other underground? The connection fees, the water and sewer connection fees, the footing drain disconnect, water mitigation fees, um, the, what else is underground? Um, on the surface, we have um, large, uh, expansion of the sidewalk depth from what it is currently and you know each of these things is coming from a place of um, good intention and um, it, and adopted at different points in time historically with um, recommendations by city council things that are approved by planning commission or approved by um, city council that they all add costs like they all add costs um, from the material designs of what we wanted and first um, proposed as our material on the outside of the building, um, not allowed, um, to the height of the building, 
um, one of the things that we had to remove that we were really excited about and wanted to keep was we had built in uh, originally a six-floor um, outdoor patio. Um, we were really, really, really pushing hard against a 55-foot limit um, that's adopted by the state of Michigan, but the city of Ann Arbor could, or any community could, could um, opt out of it, um, what triggers a high-rise building. This is the part where I need to turn to Darren and say why that matters, but I know that it impacted the depth of the um, floor of what we could support, which shrunk the ceilings and the height of the hallways that became uncomfortable. And I'll let you talk more about that piece of it. You don't need me, you've got it all. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to remove something that was a feature for the tenants um, that we really were excited and liked uh, because of that. So. Um, there were many more things. We've got a whole list of them. Um, but at the end of the day, what that did was force us to change the facade of the building, remove the features that we also liked of um, some of the, um, so it's not so flat, you know, some of the, I don't know what you call it. Articulations. Articulations of the building. And also, uh, we did have some outdoor patio decks that we were, we weren't all 100% um, sure how that would end up um, being built because it's hard when you only have it on some of your units and not all of your units, uh, especially when everybody's getting subsidized. Um, so everybody's you know paying 30% of their income on rent. So we had to make some design changes that I, do, I feel like made the building less attractive and felt more like a subsidized, not a market rate building because we had so many expenses that we had to reduce to fit within our, our funding guidelines. Um, there's a lot of other things too, but those are some of the big ones. Um, and I know there's been discussions in the city in the past and hopefully in the future about, in particular, the connection fees the, and the uh, mitigation fees are like two of the really expensive items. The developer impact, offset mitigation. The developer offset so. mitigation. That there's no um, affordable housing. Um, you know, everybody's treated the same. So yeah, there's no waiver for affordable housing. Um, but you didn't skimp on going all electric. Because we had made a commitment to doing that, just like we had made a commitment uh, to doing as much parking as we could in from 2019 in the beginning of all of this discussion. So I felt like as a city employee who had made that public commitment that I had to continue to make that commitment. Now where we are now on the all electrification, here is for real what happens on our projects, which is it is more expensive um, to do certain kinds of um, installation of your HVAC systems. Again, Darren will have to correct me. Like we are looking at geothermal. I think um, Shannon, you'd brought up at that previous project. It is more expensive to install. It is hard. It is hard on a small footprint. Uh, when we looked at uh, Catherine, we literally were putting it on every sidewalk, every under the stormwater, in the alleyway, and that was at 400 foot depth. So you could do fewer wells, deeper, more expensive. Even with the um, inflammation not inflammation, what's it called? Inflation Reduction Act. Inflation Reduction Act. Even with the Inflation Reduction Act um, offsetting some of those costs, our operating costs are going to be much higher. We can't increase our rent to cover those operating costs. We can't 
uh, pass that increased cost of utilities onto our tenants, and so we have to get more subsidy um, up front. And so we already were like way high uh, cost um, for our total development costs. Right now, our our current uh, per unit cost for 600-ish square foot one bedrooms is $450,000 a unit. Um, four years ago, pre-COVID, those same units would have been closer to probably $300,000. So like that is the difference in a short time frame of what it is costing and what's making us look at our design. Uh, and one thing we don't wanna do, it's, it's one thing on what the facade looks like, it's another thing on what it looks like and feels like to the tenants who are living there. So we're trying to preserve you know, that high quality design and material on the inside at the very least. Can, can I just ask a quick question? Jennifer, this, this body has been considering a potential ordinance that would require electrification. Do you have a sense of, can you quantify that 450 per unit? Would that number come down if this was not a fully electric building, if it was a typically gas fired? And if so, do you have a sense of how much? I mean, that's a really tough question to ask. Mm -hmm. Answer, okay. it, it, it's, there's so many variables there, Brett. I mean. So it might not come down because of construction costs. Generally speaking, it is less expensive to put in all electric heating equipment and the capital costs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, in the rental market, the tenants pay the utilities. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you have a developer saying, yeah, I'm happy to be all electric, because yeah. it costs them less up front, and they don't pay the utility bills going forward. So why wouldn't they? The only problem they have is that it gets out there that their, their development is expensive to live in, and then that's the word on the street, so to speak, and, well, this is your rent, but then you've got this 3x, 5x utility cost that you'd pay compared to a... So does part of that 450000 a unit cost include building in a higher subsidy to offset the higher operational cost for you, for you as a operating agency who's going to be bearing the cost of these utilities long-term? That might not be the actual physical cost of the units, but that's what well, that's you need to bring cost. in subsidy in order to offset those increased costs long term. Yeah, I want to. I also want to come back to the cost of the installation. I want to come back to geothermal. We have two choices: more subsidy, or raise the rents. So when we have um, built-in rent subsidies, that is not relevant. So half of our units have built-in rent subsidies. So they're we're charging. I think it's 1,300-ish uh, unit. Um, the tenant pays 30% of their income, so they might pay $50 or they may pay $500. Like that makes the whole project work, but half the units we don't have project-based uh, vouchers um, on them, and so we're like, what is a reasonable, affordable rent that isn't laughable, you know, is $1,000 reasonable? Well, that still feels like a lot when you're trying to say you're doing affordable housing, so we're like, okay, how can we get that down to 700 or $800? You have to have more uh, development subsidy because you, you can't have as much um, money that you have to pay back to a, a lender, essentially. So it's got to be grant-like money. On the geothermal question, that has great benefits to the long-term operating costs if we can figure out how to pay for it up front. And so if, if our development costs continue to increase, um, we have to cut something else. So this federal funds that potentially will offset the cost, now it's like, can we build it? Can we get enough offset? But it still doesn't lower our development cost. It still brings our development cost. It's just a grant source. 
at that point. That's where we're stuck at right now. And to Jennifer's point, you, you need a place to drill those wells, right? When you have the building taking up so much space, the one benefit of the parking lot is, other than the part where the stormwater is, you can actually put it in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you're looking at public right-of-way to put a geothermal well, which right now we don't have permission to do, but we're talking to OSI about looking into that. So uh, this challenge is all around. And one, going back to the building height thing, which is what I think you were trying to get me to say is, you know, <laughs> people say, why not build it taller? Because we really, 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 really don't want to be a high rise. And that's, what we, that's why we calculated down to the road level that we're measuring our building height per building code. And Michigan, if you may not know, this is the only state in the country that, def that has a definition of a high rise of 55 feet. Every other state in the country is 75 feet. But did I also hear you say that the city can opt out of that? Yes, they can. We just have not. That's no. correct. We have not opted City out Council can pass a resolution. There are a couple cities. No? No. Lisa says no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to challenge Lisa in this forum. Yes. Thank you for kind of opening that up for us. I yeah. mean, because these are the things that we regularly hear. And so I really appreciate kind of the nuanced. Feasible at 350 South 5th. It's a mixed income, 300-ish units. Literally, our geothermal map, which is our site. Let's say this is our site. The Blake Transit Center site, 4th Avenue, 5th Avenue. There are wells. Every single sidewalk, every single um, surface, everywhere on the AAATA site, and every spot on 4th Avenue. That is how much geothermal it takes for a traditional 400-foot well uh, to service a building that size. It is not, if you want to go 1,000 feet deep and spend a lot, a lot, a lot of money, you might be able to do it. Like We, we are struggling to figure that out on that site as well. Did you all consider solar awnings? So the problem with solar is that you did on high-rise buildings, or not high-rise, but multi-story buildings, <laughs> is that you can't get enough surface area of PV panels to offset your electrical needs. Yeah, it's not going to cover so, everything. I don't think anything's going to cover everything. Right. You know, I mean, if you went to that it, onion flats thing that was put on a couple mm -hmm. months ago, they like literally sheathed it, right? But then you start talking to Homeland, and they'll tell you about the photon angle of impact on the PV, and it gets way down the rabbit hole real quick. So putting a vertical solar panel doesn't really make a lot of sense mm -hmm. from an efficiency standpoint. Right. So you just run on a surface area. And we are doing um, solar ready purely for financial reasons. We're going to add solar after it's built so that it doesn't become part of our initial development cost. That's it. That's the mm -hmm. only reason. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Dish. This is really great. I just want to ask a question about trash. Um, <laughs> our favorite topic. I, it's really, you know how much we talk about this. I, really I imagine. <laughs> I, I actually can just imagine. Um, and it just, I, do, am I understanding that you're going to, you have a recycling compactor? No, that's a mistake. I thought so. We're not sure where the miscommunication no. happened. That's not happening. Right, I was going to say, because RAA will freak. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. There's a trash compactor. Just the trash. Recycling is just like you have at home. Yep. Anybody else? Questions, comments? Commissioner Sauvé. Just thank you. 
I just it, like that, that's it. I, I just appreciate all of you so much and all the comments that came and all the work that's put into this and I don't know how much you don't hear it probably. So I just want to just send my appreciations out for this project and everything you do in the community. Thank you. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I wanted to thank you so much for this project, um, Avalon, in the Housing Commission. Um, I'm hoping that we can learn from the process that you guys used um, to do such great public engagement with the comprehensive planning process that we have coming up. Um, and I also just wanted to acknowledge that we, we got a lot of comments about this project and support, but one of them struck me. It came from um, a resident of, I think, one of the Housing Commission's buildings and just how much that I think Avalon works with and, wow, it's late, I have no words, how much all of you have really impacted his life by housing him and supporting the services and it was a really impactful comment and you guys do amazing work, so thank you so much. Ready for a vote? A vote on the 121 Catherine motions as uh, presented. Uh, let's start with Commissioner Mills. Yes. Commissioner Give Randall. Yes. Commissioner Salve. Yes. Commissioner Abrams. Enthusiastic. Yes. <laughs> Commissioner Hammerschmidt. Yes. Commissioner Dish. Yes. Commissioner Clark. Yes. And Commissioner Weich. A very enthusiastic yes. <laughs> I just want to be clear, they still just count as yeses. <laughs> you don't get two votes for that. <laughs> Motion, motion carries. All right. Uh, we will move on to our last section of public comment. It's an opportunity for persons to speak up to three minutes on any issue. Um, we'll first call on people who are present and then move on to remote. Um, the phone access is 877-853-5247. Enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226 to unmute press star six. Uh, we're going to call on people here first and then remotely for either method, please state your name and address. Anybody present? One more time. Uh, one more time. Oh, Scott Trudeau, 526 North Main Street. I'll try to be super quick. Thank you all. Um, I just want to say I think I appreciate your optimism that we will have a comprehensive plan and be implementing recommendations from that plan within two or three years. I think that's probably in reality not going to happen. Um, and keeping that in mind, like we have urgent problems we need to solve. Um, and so I just want to underline throughout the, the theme of the evening, like that that urgency is real and we need to keep it up. Um, and also, please do be listening to the real experiences of both of people like Jennifer Hall, who are trying to actually make this stuff happen for real, and also developers like who are running into the wall of reality trying to make stuff happen. Like, because you know, we can, we can try to hold everybody to the standards of D1 in a D1-ish project, but we're not seeing any D1 projects proposed because the standards of D1 appear, appear to be unrealistically achievable. And so do we want to have unrealistically achievable standards that have high-minded goals that actually deliver nothing? 
like no new housing, no affordable housing contributions, no ongoing tax revenue into the affordable housing trust fund to help subsidize other people's homes for in, in other parts of the city and into the climate millage funds that help you know, other areas of the city like make their homes more sustainable um, at the same time. So those are all the things we're giving up by making it so hard and making the perfect enemy of the good and by not making room for more people. The people who get excluded are, you know, as we know, the people who get excluded. So um, thank you all again. Thank you. Anybody else present? My name is Angela Davis, 118 West Kingsley. And it's absolutely incredible that this commenter here said just about everything that I had in mind to say, which is perfect <laughs> that we're all on the same page. And I don't really like to um, beat the dead horse because we all know what is at stake. We're, yes, we have a housing crisis. Affordable housing is a must. I, I like to look at outside the box. And it's, it would be really awesome if the, the powers to be, like yourself, the city council, and whoever involved, that would put plans in motion that would come up with ideas of giving tax incentives, as this gentleman stated, to like homeowners who want to partake in a, in a um, program that would um, allow them to turn their homes over for a certain tax break for um, um, participating in the affordable, affordable housing um, outside of just building a structure, which it would be great too because now you're satisfying the needs of multi-couples and families and individuals opposed to just one particular family. But however, everyone needs the access to affordable housing. And I will not say in every income bracket because the ones that we are speaking of are those that are below $100,000. And a lot of the residents in Ann Arbor, because I'm born and raised here, in Ann Arbor are service workers in many different capacities that do not make $100,000 and cannot live here. You know, and I may look like that I make $100,000. I try to do that every day. But I'm in that affordable housing category. Thankfully, I do have a place to live. So looking outside the box to other alternative solutions, you know, rent control. I used to live out of state in an area that had rent control. Is that something that we can even address? I don't know what sort of channels that would have to go through, if that would even pass. But these are other things that could be um, addressed and analyzed to see if it actually worked for us. Post-pandemic threw everything out of the water. So now we're scrambling to make things happen for the good of all. So thank you. Thank you. Anybody else present who would like to speak? Do we have anybody in line virtually? One hand is raised, Alex Lowe. Alex Lowe, you have permission to address the Planning Commission. Hi, this is Alex Lowe once again, calling from 3340 Fernwood Avenue on the site of a former horse farm in the Mallets Creek Settlement, now known as the Mitchell Neighborhood of Ann Arbor. 
We saw some wonderful action today, and I want to see more, and I want to see it happen first. Let's get some more TC1. Let's get a comprehensive plan that eliminates the ridiculous restrictions we have for, uh, for zoning, the height restrictions, the FAR requ uh, uh, re requirements. Let's let our city grow as a city and not hamper it, uh, uh, and not hamper it down. And let's, do, uh, uh, and let's do it carefully and methodically, but quickly before the, uh, uh, the, uh, this crisis turns into an absolute catastrophe. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are on to item number 10, commission proposed business. Don't see any, so we will move on to adjournment. Moved by Commissioner Sove, seconded by Commissioner Abrams. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. We are adjourned. <laughs>